everyone. Welcome along to the April edition of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. Uh, I'm Kev. I've got uh, the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe and the Trust Chairman Tony Murray alongside me. And I say alongside me because after some COVID issues over the last month or two, we are back in person. We're back at the High Town Club. We thank them very much for their hospitality. Chaps, how are we doing? Really good. Thanks, Kev. All the better for seeing your lovely faces. Fantastic. Uh, that tenor's, give, me, give me that fiber. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that tenor's uh, on its way over. Tenor, well, you know, you know we're, big for, we're, we're big time now, mate. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we're double the price. Um, this is part one of the podcast. As ever, uh, is, as it's been very popular, we'll do the podcast in two parts. So this first part, we look back at what's happened since we were last uh, together on a podcast. And then in part two, we'll look at the present and the future. Um Part two is definitely one to listen to because I'll get the lads player of the season as well as one or two other things. But we'll start off with what has been already. And if you remember the last podcast, James promised you 15 points from the five games that um, Luton have played. (laughs) However, it did not start off that way, did it? Um, I'll come. Well, I may as well come to you, James, as it was you that promised us those 15 points. Uh, We dropped two of them in the first game against Millwall. But actually... I think the point was probably a good point in terms of the fact that we went behind twice in that game. Yeah, I, I'm not very good at betting or because <laughs> uh, every time we get confident and do that, they go and either draw or lose the next game. Um, and the one after, and the one after that in this case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so much for blips, eh? Uh, they're doing all right for them, but um, yeah, they're middle one. I think, yeah, if you come, you came out of it thinking that's a decent point just because you had to come back from, uh, you come back twice um, and do it really well. You know, I don't think Mill were, were too threatening. They just took the chances they did have, um, which is fair play to them. They, they're sort of on a resurgence themselves and coming up on uh, the chasing pack, aren't they? They're just one place below. So they're doing all right for themselves. But, um, uh, you know, you, you'll take that in those circumstances, I think. Yeah, I think if you were kind of disappointed with the point at the time, you'd look at the league table now and it certainly uh, isn't a bad point. I mean, to be fair to Millwall as well, Tony, their first goal was a corking strike. Nothing, absolutely nothing that James Shea could do about that. But we matched it in terms of quality with our first goal because the interplay between Amari Bell and Elijah Adebayo was first class, as was the finish. Yeah, it was a cracking goal. No two ways about it. I mean, I thought their goal... Um it was a good goal, but it was from out of the blue. They hadn't threatened anything else. And um, it, it was just a, a good strike. It was one of those. You can't fault the keeper for it. But we responded really well. responded twice. Um, and that's good. Um, overall, a decent point. Yeah, I would agree with that. The irony being that with the two games prior to the international break, we didn't have a centre-back anywhere to be seen. We had three of them in that game. We conceded two goals, whereas we kept uh, clean sheets for most of the previous game. Um, the equalising goal was Snodgrass's first impact on the team, really. We're going to speak about him in detail once we've covered all of these matches, but uh, you immediately saw the quality that he has in his left peg. Yeah, I mean... I th- Anybody that's seen them play, I think, would know that. It, we all thought it was a wonderful coup when they signed him, and I don't know, still don't know how they managed it. But he hadn't played football for two months since leaving West Brom, um, and so that was always going to take a bit of work to get up to speed. You know, he's um, in the twilight of his career as well, wasn't he? And Luton played such a sort of high intensity that <clears throat> that was always going to be the case. But 
you know, if you give him space and you give him time, it he'll be able to put it on on someone's boot or someone's head, and that's what he did. Yeah, we'll come on to uh, that again later. I think most of the near four thousand people that went to London Road three days later, Tony went there expecting Luton to beat Peterborough. And when we went ahead, I think more and more people were expecting us to beat Peterborough. But to be fair to Peterborough, they did turn into Barcelona for the last 10 minutes. It was almost like there was five balls on the pitch, the amount of shots that were raining in on our goal in that last 10 minutes. But before we got to that stage, Danny Hilton, another vital contribution with his goal. Yeah, definitely. I I think Peterborough were there for the taking, to be honest. Um, and what was disappointing for me, we went one nil up and then we decided to shut up shop. I think it was a mistake bringing on Bradley, although you could understand why Nathan did it, but it just seemed to disrupt us and, uh, you know, it, it, it seemed to give Peterborough a bit more space and a bit more time. And I think, you know, we, we got what we deserved there. We sat back instead of pushing on and going for a second goal, um, which I think we could have got fairly quickly, we allowed them back into it and we were lucky we didn't lose the game. We really were lucky that we didn't lose the game. I mean, they missed an absolute sitter of all sitters in injury time. And then that shot that hit the post. All that's hit the post, yeah. It's just, you know, I mean, I guess that's why they're getting relegated and we're in the position that we are sort of thing. That game, though, was lit up by one pass from Henry Lansbury that was... Adult X-rated, I think I called it on your website, James. It was unbelievable. Some players can see passes, but they can't pull them off. But he's not one of them. Brilliant pass inside the fullback. Fred had all the space in the world. Roll across Dan Hill and goal. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he's another one, isn't he, with Premier League quality. Um, probably, uh, he's, he's, he's a player that I, that's what I thought he would bring to the table when he signed. What he has actually brought to the table more is... Um, some hard as nails tackling and uh, bossing the game in that way. Uh, but, you know, he's he's had that throughout his life. He's got a sweet left foot and he, and he knows you know, he, he's playing in that sort of more reserved role and that's exactly what you need from that. Uh, you know, it's no disrespect to Glenn Ray, but he can break up play. But when he's got the ball, he's not picking that pass, which is why he, he probably went out on loan because he wasn't getting the game time. But Henry Lansbury's got that in spades, and yeah, it was it it was the X rated. It, it was a saucy pass. That it's a good job it was on the red button because passes like that shouldn't happen before the watershed. It was uh, yeah, a great pass, one of the passes of the season. Unfortunately, Tony, there weren't many great passes from a Luton player um, in the following game at Huddersfield. Um, I think I think we all went to Huddersfield would have been happy with the point. And I think, I'm pretty sure we'd still be playing now and that game would be nil-nil, but for a fluke of a first goal. I know the Sky commentators thought that he put it in the top corner, but did he bollocks? That was a cross to the back post. <laughs> and um, and until then, really, we you know, the game was petering out to a nil-nil draw. Obviously, we then missed a golden chance when Elijah misses the penalty. But overall, it, it just didn't seem like our night. No, it wasn't. It was a bad day at the office. I mean, I agree with you. You know, no matter what anybody said, that that first goal was a fluke, an absolute fluke. Um, and I think the, the goal scorer was the most surprised out of a lot of them when it when it went in. You know, and the, the second goal was down to atrocious marking. Just nobody picked him up on that back post at all. So you know, at the end of the day, we got what we deserved. Nothing. You know, um, I was hoping we'd get a point from that. It, 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 
two away games on the trot where we haven't played particularly well. Um, but in previous away games, we played like that and we managed to hold on, either win or get a point. But that Monday night, we just weren't going to get anything from that. Huddersfield were just too good. Obviously, Elijah got stick for missing the penalty, but people need to realise that his credit levels are higher than most banks right now with mm-hmm. us because, you know, yes, he's missed a couple of penalties, but the goals and everything else that he's given to our game have us in the position that we're in not to miss penalties. Yeah, and it, I mean, the first one you could probably criticise a little bit because it was that Dink's panicker style, wasn't it? That if it, if it goes wrong, it looks terrible. But, you know, it's a well-struck penalty. It just, just missed the post. It wasn't the worst penalty in the world. But, um, you know, there's, there, it's a big moment, obviously, because you can get back into the game and maybe it swings then because uh, Luton have the ascendancy, as so often happens. But, I mean, anyone that, anyone that's criticising Elijah um, after the season he's had, well, the, the Luton career he's had, let alone the season, uh, wants to give their head a wobble, really. Um, the, the, the stuff he does off the ball, um, the goals he scored, uh, he frightens a life out of defenders. Um, you know, you are going to miss every every now and again. Um, we, we've praised the times when he has taken wonderful penalties, and you know the one after the Forest miss where he slammed it in top corner was a man full of confidence. Um, so yeah, don't get on his back. Uh, you know, it, it will happen. The situation is not any worse. That Luton are well on course now after. The last victory um, for for playoffs, and that's that's probably. I know that they say they want to aim for that, but that's probably more than anyone here could hope for, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think people forget that Elijah's still such a young footballer because he's so good, um, but he is still young. He's going to be prone to um, misses like that, and that's you know it's just unfortunate that it came in such hope, a high profile game. But c'est la vie. Um, Easter, Good Friday, and it was a bloody Good Friday because uh, there was a bit of, I don't know, doom and gloom. I think that's the wrong word. Pessimism, that, that, that's probably the word going into that Nottingham Forest game uh, amongst the fan base, certainly not amongst the players that I spoke to. Um, because of the, the way that we've come out of the international break, because we had God knows how many injuries, obviously picked up two more at Huddersfield when Pelly and Lansbury uh, got injured. But there's one thing about this Luton team. When it loses a game of football, it doesn't lose the following one. And they weren't going to lose to Nottingham Forest. It was just one of those, we will not lose today performances. Yeah, and another one where they proved me wrong, to be honest, because, um, you know, if you're looking at it on the face of things, when Luton haven't won in three and they've got that many injuries and they're in a bit of a blip and Forest are, were the the form team essentially, weren't they? They've, they've come from virtually nowhere to storm into the playoffs uh, with like 10, 10 no, unbeaten at ten, the time. 10 unbeaten, yeah. Um, yeah, I did, I didn't predict it, but they, they went at them straight away and, uh, but Forrest didn't really have an answer really. Blitzed them, didn't they? And, um, it's good to see that they can do that. Um, and you're right. When they do lose, they so often bounce back. I think it's only one back to back defeat this season, isn't it? I'm not overly sure it's even that. I think I think we're okay in terms of. I don't think we've got. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, think I might have been league and cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it, we're yeah. clear in the yeah. league. Yeah. So I mean that that speaks volumes, doesn't it? Um, the attitude of the players and how they can uh, you know, bring it back after suffering something like that. Really. So um, it was. Yeah, 
as good Fridays go, I don't think it could get any better. No, it was. Uh, it was a great Friday. And it's interesting, Tony, that after the fallout from the penalty on the Monday, you just knew we were going to get a penalty on the Friday. Right decision for Cal to take it? Well, obviously it was because he scored, yeah. but... <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Yes, um, I think it was, uh, as Cal said, um, Elijah could have taken it, but you, you could see with Cal when he put the ball down, you, you, you can you could see that was never going to be anything but a goal as far as Cal was concerned, and, you know, rightly so. But I think... Uh, that Friday game, uh, I, going into it, I thought we weren't going to get anything. I couldn't see us getting anything from that game. But I think we finally got the rub of the green that we should have got against QPR. Um, I think that was an evening up. I think Forest are a good side, but we, we were determined we we were going to get something out of that game, which which was great. Um you know, all the whinging and whining from Forrest afterwards, it just looked like sour grapes from them. And, I mean, what do they honestly expect? You know, we, we the number of injuries we've got and first-choice players out of the team and, you know, we, our most creative midfielders not in that side. And we had Naismith playing in the holding role in, in midfield. Um, I think Nathan got the tactics spot on. You could see they were determined. They were they were fighting. Um, Alan Campbell went from still goes from strength to strength. And I thought Snodgrass in that game showed what he's about. It taken him a little bit of time to settle into it and come out, but I thought he was great. Um, you know, for me, Snodgrass was my man of the match in that game. And um, you know. Very, very pleasantly surprised to pick up three points from that game. Tony mentioned the tactics there. And the real decisive point of the game really was the switch to put Amari Bell in the centre of defence to cover Brennan Johnson, who's one of the best players in the league, and Fred's pace to cover Jed Spence down that side, who was the other best player in the league. And Spence was getting wound up. Very, very early, as, as as it turns out. The fortunate moment in the game came between Fred and Spence when once Fred touches the ball, Spence is by the laws of the game. And the, that law is an absolute nonsense, but it is the law. He played Spence onside, the linesman uh, still flagged and, and we kind of got lucky. But that tactical tactical masterstroke kind of shows the humility in our squad because that's the first time Amari Bell's ever played centre-back in his career. And also shows that Nathan, he, he can be flexible when the need arises. Yeah, I thought that was the main takeaway from that game, wasn't it? It was a tactical masterstroke, really, to do that. But, you know, other than the goal that, yeah, you're right, should have stood, uh, really. Um, <clears throat> the pair of those, Fred and Amari, had, had those um, flying wingers in, in their pockets, really. Uh, and that nullified most of their threat. It wound them up, not just those two, but um, the number nine as well, Davis. Uh, he should have been had more than a yellow for my money as well. He was pushing everybody off the ball. Well, he should have been booked in the first <clears throat> minute when he hauled Cal Naismith back as Cal Naismith was running away from him. Johnson and then he was one of the 200. And the, Johnson did nothing. And then yeah. he was one of the 260 players who did get booked over the course of the <laughs> afternoon. And I don't know if that referee is sponsored by Clinton's, I, but they've I, missed a trick if not. I don't know about you, but I... I 
I'm finding it's winding me up, these referees, that um, in the first couple of minutes in that game, uh, their defender got away with exactly the same um, thing that Bradley got booked for later on. Mm. And, you know, you look at what punishment is dished out to Adebayo throughout the game. I mean, you know, they're all over him. Um, he doesn't get for, he doesn't get the free kicks for it. Yeah, it's slightest touch on one of their players, and it's a free kick, and it's not right. It's always the in- inconsistency I find that is the most uh, annoying, and that one with Bradley was one of the ones that stood out for me as well. Because mm-hmm. if he's going to get booked for that, then the other fellas got to have the same. It's a, it's the same infringement, really. Uh, you know. Um, I, yeah, I thought the sending off was really harsh as well. Well, it was it wrong, was, it wasn't it? Yeah. It was pathetic, really, wasn't it? Because he just doesn't understand the rules there. So it, uh, I, I don't know what he's thinking because I saw that from where, where, however far the press box is, 40 yards away, I could see that. that, that. Yeah. And the, the players were all saying, but he was offside. I don't think Bradley thought he was going to get sent off. Why would you? Um, it, it's madness how... Uh, the worst thing is, I mean... You know, mistakes happen, and you know sometimes they happen too frequently. I think, but because it was a second yellow, he misses out. That's not right, really. That's a, that's a stupid rule. Yeah, it it, it is. Um, particularly, like you say, particularly because the officials involved don't obviously, or either don't know the rules, or, or haven't got eyes to see who passes the ball and who doesn't. Crazy thing about that game: eleven yellow cards. Danny Hill was on the pitch for half an hour, and he didn't get one of them. I, don't, I have absolutely no idea what was going on wasn't there. He, but, wasn't he seen spot, spotted calming things down? At one yeah, point? yeah, yeah. That 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 uh, archetype sort of um, peacemaker, Danny Hilton. Yeah, but I thought when Hilton came on, I thought great because that was just the type of game for him. You know. The king of shithousery, and that's what was needed on the pitch then. And he, you're right; the fact he didn't get a yellow is amazing. It was, you know, I almost had him written in the referee's notebook by the time I saw him sort of taking the bib off and getting ready to come on, sort of thing. So but the, actually, the worst one now I think about it was um, Shay getting booked. How many goalkeepers have come to Kenworth Road and done what Shay've done ten times in a yeah. game and not got booked? He does it once. And yellow straight away. But fair play to Shazy because he's on a yellow card, but he still makes out he's got cramp in the last sort of five minutes like all the other goalkeepers do. And he avoided the second yellow card. So uh, absolutely fair play to him for that. Unfortunately, it didn't do him no good. On the Monday game, um, Tony, 1-0 at Cardiff. The first thing to say is we've actually beaten Cardiff City because... We couldn't do it in any of the other games in the championship. And yes, they were very, very average. But that's the kind of um, progression that we've done this season. We've gone to Stoke and won. We've gone to, sorry, we've beaten West Brom at home. We've gone to Cardiff and won. We've gone to Swansea and won. Gone to a lot of these direct places. Swansea, not one of those, but gone to a lot of these direct places and we're beating these teams now. Yeah. Um, it's great to see, you know, it's, we're not, getting out of third gear, really, and we're digging in, keeping them out. And, you know, we had two or three chances in the first 10 minutes with a bit more luck if they'd been on target. We might have done something with what we stuck in. And, uh, again, whether it was because the injuries were forced on us, I thought we um, we were unlucky as well <clears throat> when, when Shea pulled off that great save from Hugh Gill. He, he was quite clearly he was a offside. Mile offside yeah. He was offside. And why that wasn't flagged for, I don't know. But 
again, a great save from, from uh, James Shea. And we just rose above it. And the longer it went on, the more it looked like there was only going to be one winner because you could see that Cardiff side was starting to get frustrated. And we, we did a great number on them, considering the enforced changes as well. And uh, they looked like we could have been playing still now and they wouldn't have scored. We looked really comfortable in that game. And again, another masterclass by Snodgrass. What a great cross for uh, Cornick. And to see Cornick score with a header like that, you know, two seasons ago, you'd never dreamed he'd have do, done anything like that. So, uh, it's you know, he's doing well. His confidence is up and uh, fantastic. We need to talk about some players from that Cardiff game. We'll talk about Snodgrass in a moment because he's uh, one of our player focuses. We need to talk about Alan Campbell because yeah. this was the second game in three days, the third game in seven days of high intensity. And this bloke is just ridiculous. He is unbelievable. He does not stop. Like a machine, isn't His he? quality is amazing. And I mean, we've said on this podcast throughout the season that we knew we'd signed a player when we we all saw mixed that glint in mixed eye at that transfer club thingy-majiggy. I'm not overly sure we thought we or we knew we signed a player this good though. Well, no, and the thing is, he's he's basically a baby as well, isn't he? He's nowhere near his peak, and if he can do that, I mean, he runs non-stop. He, he he's such a pain in the ass for anyone else playing against him. And you can see, you know, in the in that Forest game, he was wonderful. I know, Tony, you said Snodgrass was your man in the match, but he was mine because he was instrumental in not giving them anything um, and not giving them any time to do what they wanted. They got them getting so frustrated and there was many factors for that, but it, you know, when you can't play the football you want because you've got a little terrier snapping at your heels. That they've never heard of. That they've never heard of. Mm. He, he's, he, he's 23 years old and um, what, a, what a player they've signed there. Really great. You can see why there were a lot of clubs after him mm. and we did really well to get him. You know, and, and when you think there's so much more to come, and he, he's still he's still learning his trade, uh, I think it's fantastic. I think we've got a real diamond on our hands there. Yeah, the level of compensation we paid Motherwell was never revealed, but whatever it was, it's money incredibly well spent. We also need to talk about Reese Burke, who, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, he came back into the side against Nottingham Forest, and okay, understandably. Um, Tired towards the end of that game, he went down with cramp a couple of times. Whether that was time wasting or, or what it was, but that was his second game in three days after a, roughly a month without a game. I mean, the bloke's a Rolls Royce. He is, yeah. To, to think that in the early part of a season when he couldn't get on the pitch, he was fourth choice <laughs> centre back. You've got to put him in there now because he offers so much. He's you can't get past him in the air. He's He's wonderful in that sense. He does his job defensively. He reads the game quite well. But the fact when he's on the ball, he's yeah, he's he's sometimes up the wing. Yeah, being a winger, isn't he? Yeah, when he's when he's in that defensive three, and they put him on the right and just let him let him play box to box centre back. Well, that (laughs) that was the thing, wasn't it? Because when um, Bree went off on um, 
Monday and then Fred went off after that and Kioso came on. It was very much Burke who went forward and actually Harry should have scored from one of um, their crosses um, prior to when he did. But I really like the progression in Burke's attacking play. I mean, the defensive side of it, he's, he's, you can tell he's come through that West Ham Academy. He's just unbelievably good on the ball. You have to be to come from that. But he's gaining in confidence game by game by game by game going forward. And, and now even though we only play one person down that right-hand side, we can form an overlap because he's so comfortable going forward. It's just so valuable. It just, you know, it looked fantastic that we had such a selection of centre-backs that, you know, whichever combination is played there looks good. We just didn't anticipate them all being out at the same time, did we? Exactly that. It's, you know, it's just... It's crazy. And speaking of centre-backs, the other one we have to talk about is Tom Lockyer, who also yeah. came back in that game. I mean, this bloke just loves Luton. He just lo- I mean, he just gets it. He, he loves winding people up, but he just, he just gets it. And you just had to look at his reaction after the game to know that he's on such a high, he's, you know, he's enjoying the ride like we all are. But he's a damn good defender. He is. He's the, he's the best defender in, at yeah, the club. It, just an out-and-out defender, um, you know, in, in sort of, Dogged, determined, not getting past him. He reminds me of Mal Donaghy, that mm. type of player. You know, very calm on the on the ball, knows what he's doing, can read the game really well, and can bring it out and play it as well. Yeah, I mean, I said to someone on the way home on Monday, he's a championship Matty Pearson, and I didn't mean that to go against Matty Pearson, but he's everything that Matty Pearson is, but also with the bits that you need in the championship, the comfort on the ball, the organisation, the knowledge, the reading of the game and everything else. He, he, he is that. And when you think he hasn't really been regular in the side, to be able to keep coming in, you know, from not obscurity, but from the sidelines and then performing to the levels he performs at, just goes to show really his preparation levels and he, he's just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he's an international for a reason, as he you, you don't get in there. Wales are a good side these days as well, so you don't get in internationals uh, as he had with about without being a good player. But um, just he's, he's so instrumental in eighteen clean sheets now. I mean, you know, he's not been involved in all of them, obviously, because he's been he's had his injury problems, but. You, you can bet that when he, when he have got a clean sheet and he's been on it, he's been throwing his body in in the in the way of the ball to to keep it and preserve it and um, uh, you know if great sides are built from the back then you know his his performances and his uh, will to win uh, speak volumes about this Luton side and we finished that game in a back four. Um, with Burke and Lockyer at centre-half, and it'll be interesting to see if that sort of continues down the line. We will talk about Harry Eisted in part two because we'll cover the goalkeeper situation. So the other man that we need to speak about is Cal Naismith, who has gone from being centre-back to that holding midfield role. And I mentioned it in the takeaways on your website, James. He looks natural in there and it, it might even suit him more because he can carry the ball with cover behind him. He can play a decisive pass. He's got that shot on him. He can still do all the tackling and stuff like that. These injuries in midfield might have uncovered a solution to all to so many problems, really. Yeah, I mean, he has played pretty much everywhere. He even played in goal. I saw a picture of him for Pompey. Um, yeah, yeah, that might come in handy down the line, but we'll save <laughs> yeah, that for part two. Exactly. Um 
you know, and he he was signed as a utility player that we all thought was going to be probably a left back, maybe a winger. He's made centre back his own place, and that's the place that he feels is his best position. And he said he's always felt it, but never felt the confidence until he came to Luton. But yeah, he he can slot in and and play that role so well. I guess it's I guess it's a sign of what how how good Luton are in their recruitment because you can say that about Gay Bosho as well, can't you? He can play. He's a centre back, but when he's played in the holding midfield role, everybody raved about him. And if you've got players that can do that, you know, for this very reason right now in this injury hit period, injury ravaged period, it's great that you can have players that do that. I mean, unfortunately, Osho's out for the rest of the season, isn't he? But um, Cal Naismith is just a class act in any way you look at it. Everywhere he's played for Luton, he's been brilliant. Uh, and he can take a mean penalty as well. Yeah. <laughs> No problem with it. He hasn't certainly hasn't got any confidence problems at all, and he's taken uh, to wearing the captain's armband like a duck to water as well. He you does, know, as Elijah Adebayo found out on yeah, uh, on he, Monday. I, I, I wondered what that was all about, actually. Um, if it was because Elijah wasn't celebrating the goal, well, you look at it. Elijah looks like he's dead on his feet, doesn't he? And I, I suppose anything he can do to conserve energy. You know, but uh, it, it doesn't mean there's unrest in the camp at all. No, not you at all. And actually, I, I, I think it's I quite, like it. I think I it's do. quite the opposite. Actually, the penalty that Naismith scored, and obviously Adebayo's the regular taker. The the humility that that shows for him yeah. to go, you have a go. Actually, I, I spoke to Naismith afterwards, and he said that he'd spoken to Adebayo and said that he'd go up, take the ball, and look as if he was going to take the penalty because the Forest players would have. Give, done as much gamesmanship as possible and tried to put him off and then he put the ball down and then if, if Adebayo wanted it he can come and take it but Adebayo said to him you have it um, it, that that tells you everything you need to know about this Luton squad that uh, everybody's got the confidence in each other firstly to do that and that uh, even though Adebayo is the top scorer for Luton and you associate um, goal scorers like that you know, most amount of selfishness because they have to. That isn't that, is it? Mm. Adebayo is not that. And you saw that as well when he dispossessed the whole player and then laid it off to Harry Cornick. He's not that. But well, it, you, you wouldn't have seen James Collins do that, would you? No, no, no you wouldn't have. Um, so I, I, I just, it tells you everything you need to know about the spirit of the, the team unity that this Luton Town team have that, that they could do that. Um, and you, you can bet it'd probably be on the next penny. So. I mean, you, you can see that spirit as well. Whenever there's like a rock like there was with Davis, they're all over there looking out for each other and protecting each other, which is or, great. Or at Huddersfield where the gobby number eight got absolutely flattened by Naismith, which, in, you know, in realistic terms, that's a red card. But thankfully, he was only given a yellow card. And uh, yeah, you're right. They are well, together. And When it, he it, said he was celebrating with their fans. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> He's... Um, you, you know, everyone's together and that's that's the reason why we're achieving what we're achieving this season. It wasn't 15 points like James promised, but eight was more than acceptable from those five games. Well, uh, it, it worked for all of us. I mean, we, we picked up eight points and the teams around us helped us out. The, the results went 
fairly went our way over the weekend, didn't they? Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like I said to Chris Cohen on the podcast that we did bef- between, you know, the last one that we've all done. You don't get bonus points for beating certain teams, you know, and they all add up at the end of the day. And when you, when all is said and done, you get what you you get what you get, sort of thing. So no, we're we're in a pretty good position, which we'll come to again in part two. But I've hinted that we're going to talk about Robert Snodgrass as a player focus, and we are going to talk about him. he gets Luton Town. You know, and and that surprises me actually because when you've achieved what he's achieved in his career, and you're at the stage of his career that he's at, he's perfectly entitled to be the Billy Big Bollocks and you know just sort of slope around the pitch. You know, none of that though. You know, he's putting himself about around the pitch. Still got that quality, mm. but he just gets Luton. Mm. Yeah, although everything you hear about Snodgrass, that his reputation is completely the opposite to Billy Big Bollocks. Anyway, he's the uh, he's a great team player as well as having the talent that he does have. Um, you know, I, you know, we spoke on the day that he signed and we just couldn't believe that he'd, he'd come to Luton. But that's that's the effect that this Luton Town team have on players. Um, there, there will be players of his ilk who would turn their no- nose up at Luton. But everything we know about the way that they recruit players and uh, target them specifically and then... Um, meet them and Nathan does the presentation and everything like that and every single player that is signed waxes lyrical about that situation um, and it, it probably everybody knows about it uh, and it's spoken about so much it's probably taken for granted a little bit but clearly that has such a big impact on players you know it, Robert Snodgrass has been on loads of money everywhere he's been at in the Premier League um, and probably some of the clubs he has been in the championship as well even West Brom um, I, I don't know the, the deal structure of what he's come to Luton with but you can bet your bottom dollar that they won't have smashed any wage uh, situations I I, for him I, I don't think he's doing it for the money he's doing it for the game well, yeah, exactly um, If it, it speaks to the point of how, how crucial uh, that recruitment process is with players if you can make them feel wanted because you know, he he has played in the Premier League and been very successful, but he was the last at West Brom and they clearly didn't want him. And he said, you know, he hasn't thrown mud at them or anything because he's not that type of player, but he's hinted that, you know, it wasn't the greatest of time and it wasn't the greatest of, uh, you know, endings at, at a club. So if somebody can come around, come along and put your arm around them and say, we want you to do X, Y and Z. That's one thing, but then you can also see what Luton are doing in this season. They've, they've. I don't think you can say that they're punching above their weight anymore. This is this is what Luton have worked for, and this is what they deserve. And it, as a player, you can see that. I think, um, and he will have obviously spoken to people in the game. I would imagine, and there's not a, a sort of a, a fan with their head screwed on right or a coach that doesn't praise everything that Luton do. And that, that will filter through to, to, to students of the game. And I think that that is Robert Snodgrass. Yeah. I, what I like is if you, if since he, he's gone into the side and he's, he's been in the starting 11, you look at him, he's going up and he's hugging every single player before the game. And it's like, he's pulling them in and, you know, remember, we're, we're here together. It's the whole musketeer thing, all for one and one for all. And uh, he's a leader. 
He's a leader. Now, I know when we signed him, I, I'm aware of some people telling what we signed him for. He's a has-been, you know, similar like some supporters, you know, at the start of the season, they saw Alan Campbell and thought, oh, my God, what a waste of money. These players need time to adjust and, and, and get used to new surroundings. But Snodgrass has got that ability and that experience that he'll do it faster than other people. And you can see he was directing that midfield all through the games. Yeah, Alan Campbell's the workhorse and, and, and the engine in the midfield. And um, Snodgrass at the moment is like the conductor. Mm. And, you know, you could see that. The cross for, for Harry on Monday was... Brilliant. You know, you could see Elijah was getting up because he wanted to get the ball and it's not got, oh, no, no, leave it for me. Just took a touch with his left and bang across and goal. And the delivery from him, you know, he got the same for the equal, like the second equaliser against Millwall from across from him. He's got that ability. He's been there. He's done it, as you've said. And I, I think he's been a great acquisition for us. And I think he, he's what we needed to see us over the line to, to cement our playoff place. Mm. He reminds me so much when he plays of Nobby Horton. Same sort of midfield player, gets stuck in and directing traffic and telling people what to do. And he's talking to them all the way through the game. You can see that. And that's what we needed a little bit of. You know, we've we've lost some good creative players to injury. He's come in and he's given us that back. So, you know, it's great. It's great to see, and you know, I, I, I think West Brom must be kicking themselves. Yeah, I've spoken to a few players, and they they love him. You know, they love the experience that he brings, the the way that he guides them through training games. And you only have to see it when we're defending corners. He makes sure everyone knows their man. Usually, it's the goalkeeper who does it, isn't it? But you know, it was Snodgrass both against Notts Forest and against. Um, Cardiff but we're still in the infancy of his Luton career he's already got two assists he played pretty much the whole game at Huddersfield I think Pelly went off after about a quarter of an hour didn't he and then he played the two games over Easter and I think he posted on Twitter didn't he after the Forest game first start for six months you know and um, what are we in etc etc but Tony's right he, he he still has a lot of quality a lot of quality in that left foot but he gets around the pitch and you wouldn't expect a 34 year old who's a Achieved everything that he's achieved. Bearing in mind, he's an international footballer, played in Premier League for season after season after season. You wouldn't necessarily expect that um, to be the case, but he's that's what Luton do, and and he's fitted in with that. I, I, I agree with what you said as well, Kev. You know, um, he gets Luton, same as Cal Naismith gets Luton, and we always say, you know, once a hatter, always a hatter no matter how long you're at the club. I think that's true now more than ever. I think players will see themselves as hatters no matter how many other clubs are, purely because of what we've got at the club and the spirit and everything and the fight. Uh, and they seem to love it. They seem to love it. And it seems players will move on. Um, we've lost some good players. But they always now, especially, seem to have that love for Luton and that, Place you look, you know, you look at it and you see the two big players we lost over the, recently, Jack Stacey and JJ. I bet both of them will consider themselves still their hatters. They're part of it. They're part of the Luton family, and I think you'll see that with a lot of those players in this squad now. 
Mm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, even Kian and Dewsbury Hall has been back um, and paraded in front of the crowd and everything this season and, and things like that. Far be it from us to divert your attention away from our podcast, but Robert Snodgrass is actually on the EFL podcast this week and he talks about his time at Luton and he talks very, very highly and uh, how desperate he is to achieve special things here. And this is a guy who's only walked into the building six weeks ago. So, uh, you know, he kind of understands everything that... Going on behind the scenes, but obviously don't listen to that until you've listened to the rest of this podcast <laughs> yeah. and the second part because you'll miss some great stuff. Uh, one of which is our second player focus on Fred on Yadinma. Now, then, James, we've only played five games since the international break, but this guy has played right wing back, left wing back, central midfield, and he's played up front. I mean, you know, this he, but what I like about him is. He's a threat in whichever role he plays because, yes, okay, he played the left wing back role against Nottingham Forest to keep Spence quiet, but it was him who had the first chance of the game in that when he went through and the goalkeeper made a really good save. And they were more worried about Fred than Fred was ever worried about Spence. And when you think that he's an attacking player, that kind of spoke volumes, really. Yeah, I I, I thought he was outstanding against Forest, but I think he's just... He looks, and I hope his injury is not so serious that he's out for... Um, I mean, we should say Nathan said he got taken off as a precaution because he can't afford any more injuries, well, didn't yeah, he? So yeah, touch yeah. wood, that is the case. And, and hopefully it's hopefully he's lining up against Blackpool. Um, but yeah, he was outstanding against Forrest. But I think that because he hadn't, he'd had so much time on the bench, he just strikes me as a player that looks just hungry for it. More than hungry, just ravenous <laughs> to to play in this side, and you, you know wherever you want, wherever they want to play him, it, he's uh, he's a threat. He's a threat going forward with his pace. Uh, but there was one instance where he belted it back sixty yards to come back defending, um, and that speaks volumes, I think, about uh, how, how how desperate he is to keep his place in that side. Having you know had to sit on the bench, and Nathan, I think, admitted couple of months back that at the minute he was at that point he was more of an impact player uh, they don't have game changes now do they have <laughs> plasters, plasters. Yeah. <laughs> plasters so um yeah he carries a threat uh in the attacking sense uh Luton have been so effective really on the counter in recent seasons maybe not the championship seasons but definitely this season in the championship and it's getting back to that um, pace obviously frightens the life out of defenders, um, you know, and it, it it has done every game that he's played since he's got back into the side. I think so. Um, it, I think it's it's such a useful uh, tool to have because when everybody talks about the squad, quite often you would say, "Well, he's not as good," and you know, he'll come in and do a job or something. But he can do more than a job, um, and the fact that he hasn't played so much, I think it's almost like a secret weapon for Luton. Um, and if he can stay in the side, and maybe next season is his season to have more of a share, lion's share of the of the play and, and get in there, who knows? But um, what, what a squad it is, really, when you've got Fred on your dimmer that couldn't get in it for a while. Same with Reese Burke, and now look at them, both of them. Yeah, I mean... James has mentioned about his pace there, Tony, but I mean, you often see in football, don't you? Players got like loads of pace, but no end product. But that's not the case with this guy. He has got end product. You look yeah. at that goal at Peterborough, you know, so many people get put through by Lansbury 
and they either run it out of play because they take every first touch or they let the defender get back to them or, and it gets tackled or, or the cross is either over here. I mean, I remember that Rian Brewster one for Sheffield United that's still circling the main stand now. I mean, <laughs> you know, but that wasn't on your dimmer. Look, looked up, Sorry. rolled the ball across, go on, put that in the back of the net and he's got everything really. Yeah, he has and he can do it on either flank. I mean, the pace he's got is absolutely frightening. And now you're looking at the long, hopeful ball over the top from Bradley or whoever at the back. And, you know, before you think that's a waste, even Harry wouldn't get that. And then on your dinmas, getting on it. And you think, my God. And he's frightened the life out of a lot of fullbacks already this season. Um, I, I suppose the only, the only play, he, he just needs to be a little bit more consistent, doesn't he? Sometimes he, he, he makes the wrong choice with with these uh, final ball, but he'll get there. He, he, he's, only, he's still only young, you know, and, uh, he, you know, he, he must be relieved that he's joined us and now games are only lasting 90 minutes, so um, that's probably a relief for him as well. But, uh, no, I, 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 we've got some good prospects on our books now, and I think Fred's one of them. Definitely one of them. Not against Nottingham Forest, they don't. The no, the army no. was having kittens when eight minutes went up. I was thinking, well, I mean, what do you expect? Yeah. Mon- yeah. Monday, Monday as well, it wasn't his best game, was it? And he, he, he that's what I mean about, you know, consistency. He didn't say, he was trying, he, he, you get 100% from him, but it just wasn't working for him, was it? So, but I go again on Saturday. Absolutely, yeah. We really hope that Fred is fit to go again on Saturday because he's starting to come into his own in whichever position and the fact that he can cover so many positions is just so helpful right now because we're going to need probably two of quite a few players to be able to field an 11. It might be, James, that um, we're going to have to play some academy players between now and the end of the season, certainly once a playoff space is um, filled up. So it's kind of brings us on to the final part of this, this final point of this part of the podcast in that Paul Hart's now left the first team set up to take over the academy role. It's all a bit sort of cloak and daggers about what happened to Andy Orford. But the overriding thing is a guy with a serious reputation at youth level has just taken over our academy and that can only be a good thing. Yeah, you've got a magnificent track record, actually. And if people want to go back and listen to the Chris Cohen podcast, he he, he talked about it. I mean, he blew so much smoke up his backside. <laughs> it was coming out of his nose, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> yes. Uh, but it also probably shows that uh, it's great for the academy. It's great for Paul Hart. That's where he's really come into his own in his coaching career, I think. Um, it's fair to say, although he has had some good stints as first team managers as well. Um. It does speak volumes about the coaching staff in the first team as well. You know, Alan Sheehan's come in as well and Chris Cohen, um, both taking up, Chris Cohen in particular, taking up more of a role, isn't he? And um, that's good to see as well because they've uh, come with a a freshness and new ideas. Clearly, Alan Sheehan as well. You you came up with a stat about the amount of goals that Luton have scored from set pieces since Alan Sheehan's come in and it's quite staggering compared to what was gone on before. Um, and so it, it it's it's it keeps it all in house as well. Keeps everybody knows him. Paul Hart knows the club as well. It's, it's clearly, I think, it's probably a very good move. Really, I think. Um, obviously, we all know the situation around the academy training facilities. That that simply needs to 
improve and that's not for the want of trying from Luton Town Football Club it's ridiculous decisions by Luton Borough Council um, they need that um, those extra facilities in the the, the dome uh, somewhere so they can step up to uh, category two and start playing in Premier League games and attracting better talent but um, you Luton are a case in point of making the best of what you've got. And uh, if that's Paul Hart, then you're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, we really are. I mean, Andy Orford did a fantastic job with the academy. The academy's had an awful lot of success over the last sort of six or seven years, particularly in his early days where we were just back in the league and just getting sort of funding sorted out, whereas previously Solid was so important to it. But you get the feeling Paul Hart will take it to a whole new level. He's got so much experience in the game, particularly at academy level. He knows how to run an academy. He knows how to get an academy flourishing. And yeah, um, James is right. The, the council needs to help us out a little bit. But you just kind of get the feeling that he'll improve standards whilst we're waiting for facilities to improve. Yeah, he will do. He'll get the best out of the talent that's there. I think it's a good move. I think it'll help us attract uh, more players as well, younger players, talented. Um, it's a good move all round for the club. And it's showing that the club are, are not standing still, they're moving forward. They've got an eye on the future. And, um, you know, again, with a new stadium on the horizon, once we've got that, we've established with a possibly a, a academy level one rather than level two. I think that's the ultimate aim for the club. Um, with Paul Hart in charge, I think... Um, the future looks really good for us as a club. Yeah, as I mentioned, Chris Cohen. He, I mean, he was he waxed, well, lyric, just, he waxed lyrical about him, didn't he? And you know, he's worked alongside Paul Hart for the well eighteen months or so that he's been here. So it's like a Trent Old Boys there, isn't it? With, it really with, is with Hart, Sheehan, and, and Cohen there, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, if you've not been uh, seen in the city of Nottingham, then we don't want you, sort of thing. Because even Kevin Pilkington's been at uh, Notts County as well, That's hasn't right, he? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, he spoke very highly. If you've not listened to that podcast, uh, even though it's a couple of weeks on from when we recorded it, it's still an awful lot in there that you can take that's still perfectly relevant. So, uh, yeah, we thank, I thank Chris for being really honest with me and obviously uh, his thoughts on Paul Hart uh, give us an insight into what we can expect in the future. That's it for the first part of the podcast. We've covered everything that's happened. Uh, do join us for part two where we will look at the present and very much the future. <laughs>